Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And my name is Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Saint. How you doing, man? You know, I'm good. I'm still trying to get back into the swing of things at work after spending a week in New Orleans, but, uh, you know, it's coming along. So uh, I have a feeling it's it's, going to take a couple more days, but by next week I should be back to normal. How about you? It's one of those things where you like need a vacation from your vacation to wind back down. Honestly, and, I mean, ugh. I wouldn't know. I've not been on a vacation in like a solid decade, at least. So, you got to take one of them bastards. I know. I got to go to New Orleans. Apparently, shit. There's food I need to eat. But, you need uh, to eat all the food. All the. Food. I don't want to hype on it for the second week in a row, but seriously, go to New Orleans if you're a foodie. You, you will not be disappointed. But uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I've been working like 12-hour days every day, and so today I got sent home early, so I got to catch a little nappy nap and find out just how noisy my neighbors really are during the day, which is always fun. Shut up! But, uh, yeah, not doing too bad. Not doing too bad. Now... There's some news articles that came across my desk. These are in no way the thrust of the conversation uh, today. <laughs> thrust. Yeah, and that'll make sense here in a minute. But there's a couple of things we came across. You want to do that one first? I think that one's kind of funny. You want to do that first? Yeah, why not? Uh, okay. This is a little more blue than we usually go for uh, in even our most freewheeling moments. So if you have children. kids in the car, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. I mean, obviously we're not a family show. We drop F-bombs like candy, but nonetheless. Uh, there is a, a trend or a, a story or whatever you want to call it going around on TikTok right now. Uh, not that you know either one of us necessarily is all that into TikTok because TikTok is for the Zoomers and we're both Xers, but whatever. Uh, you know, you, you can't exist in Western culture and not be aware of TikTok on some level. But there is a thing going around on TikTok uh, where somebody raised the idea, no pun intended again, as you'll find out in a second, (laughs) that apparently avocado, fresh avocado, um, not processed into guacamole, not, uh, you know, in any any way uh, changed from its original state, but avocado supposedly, according to some people, has a flavor that is very similar to quote-unquote clean penis. Now, I don't want to know why they felt the need to make the distinction <laughs> that it was clean penis. Maybe because I, mean, I understand it. in the heat of the moment, certain things can go down. Again, no pun intended, that you might not originally have wanted to happen when you go into those moments. But why you'd put a filthy penis in your mouth, I don't know. Let's talk about positive reinforcement. Wash your dicks. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> this idea that, that avocado tastes like a dick uh, is floating around TikTok. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Because... Um, you know, I have tons of friends who are LGBTQ, but I myself, I'm tragically heterosexual, never had a penis in my mouth, don't know what they taste like, but I'm also not a huge fan of avocado. I will eat avocado in certain instances. Uh, I will eat it if it's sliced up French style and put into a, a California roll. Uh, avocado in sushi is fine, but I don't like guacamole that much. And if, uh, I'm out for Mexican food and it comes with, with avocado guacamole, I always kindly ask the server to leave it off my plate. You know, I'm not, I don't find it objectionable, I'm just not a fan of it. So, I've barely eaten avocado, and I certainly haven't eaten any penises, so I can't really speak from any kind of informed perspective on this, uh, but it, it is a story that's out there. 
It is, and, and I've watched some of the reaction videos, and they're they're quite hilarious, uh, and and they kind of range from the, eh, not really, to the, uh, you know, the head shaking, what the hell? Hey, wait a minute, what the hell? Kind of reaction, and it's it's, I mean, it's it's funny. It's a thing that's funny, and so, uh, I thought we'd discuss that. I thought that was just cute. Not let certainly not a full episode's worth of it, but, uh, what is? I mean, I I, I like avocado. I like it on my burgers. Mm. I like it on uh, yeah. as a spread. I like guacamole. What does that say about me? Absolutely. Well, nothing. the other interesting thing is that avocado, as a word, the etymology of the word avocado, there's a certain amount of linguistic consternation on this because some sources say that it is and some sources say that it isn't. But supposedly, the word avocado is based on a Nahuatl, which is a, a native. Um, Mexican language, a, a sort of pre-conquistador, pre-Spanish uh, language um, that that a lot of natives of, of Mexico spoke in, in ancient uh, civilizations. Uh, the word avocado supposedly means testicle in <laughs> that language. However, uh, th- there's, again, a certain amount of split on that with etymologists because they say that, well, it, it doesn't necessarily mean testicle, but it sort of like became a slang term for testicle much in the same way that like balls or nuts would in English. Well, see these nuts in your motherfucking mouth. Just because of the sort of basic resemblance of the avocado to a testicle. So it's kind of muddied in, in the actual history of the word, but uh, it... it I, Still, I mean, the fact that we're talking about avocados either looking like balls or tasting like dick, um, it's it's just a weird, a weird sort of fillip of the language, whatever language you happen to be speaking at the time, whether it's Spanish or English or Nahuatl or whatever it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I did a very short and formal poll of a couple of friends of mine who uh, have had penises in their mouth, short and uh, the general consensus among poll. those folks. Um, who I asked, uh, did say that clean dick pretty much tastes like clean dick and nothing else. And these are also people who, it might be uh, worth mentioning, have also eaten avocado. So uh, I'm not saying that's a scientific poll. I'm not saying that that's necessarily uh, words to live by in any stretch of the imagination. But um, the folks that I talk to that have had dicks in their mouth say that there's, it's really, you're never going to like put guacamole in your mouth and mistake it for a penis. That's, that's pretty much, I guess, what the bottom line is. Again, no pun intended. Short, informal poll. <laughs> uh, short, informal poll. But, you know, I don't know whether it's just that everything in the world, sort of like all, all, all mental roads lead towards salacious connotations or what, but, uh, you know, rest assured that all of the uh, ridiculous puns and, and sort of uh, entendres and innuendo uh, is, is not intended on our part. That's just kind of the way the language works. Right, and so... Uh, not ever having sampled one, but having sampled quite frequently the other, and I'll leave you to decide which is which, uh, I'm gonna have to say, I don't know. Big, fat, shaggy, scooby, But if you're somebody who has had both penis and avocado in your mouth, whether the same time or not, uh, and you've been able to draw any sort of correlation in your own mind, then go ahead and drop us a line at fuelyourfandom at gmail.com and let us know what you think, uh, because again, this is never meant to be a... Why not? Yeah, this, this was never intended, this podcast is never intended to be a one-way conduit of communication. We want to hear from you. And uh, don't worry if, if you're somebody who you don't want to have broadcast the fact that you've, you know, popped a Peter in your mouth here and there. We won't use your name um, if you would rather we not. So just, you know, let us know. Uh, tell us uh, what you think about uh, the, the avocado clean penis flavor connection. 
Also, if you, and I just want to put this out there as, as a public service announcement, if your testicles look anything like an avocado, seek medical attention post-haste. Something is wrong. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, basic shape, I suppose, uh, sort of. But if you have green bumpy balls, then, yeah, that's, that's something that you might want to get looked at. That's my new band name, Green Bumpy Balls. Green Perfect. Bumpy Balls. Perfect. Uh, there was also another article that came out talking about uh, Mountain Dew, the rebels at, at Pepsi Corp and their Mountain Dew brand, uh, coming out with a flaming hot Mountain Dew. Now, I sent you a picture of this, and both of our reactions were kind of similar. It was more of a fucking, what? Are you serious? Why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. The real answer behind that one is, why not? They got some kind of mad scientist working there, and they're just like, you know what we haven't tried yet? We put flaming hot on everything else. Why don't we try putting it in our soda? Why not? Don't buy it. I almost wonder if this doesn't go back to something we talked about a couple of months ago on the KFC episode about how there's just a bunch of marketing douches hanging around some brainstorming room with a whiteboard just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks and somebody in either the 11th hour of being tired or being hopped up on Red Bull or whatever the fuck or probably Mountain Dew if they're working in the Mountain Dew brainstorm room saying, hey, you know, gamers like Cheetos, gamers like Mountain Dew. Why don't we put them both in the same can and make us a flaming hot Mountain Dew? And somebody wrote it down because, of course, the number one rule in brainstorming is there are no bad ideas, even though there really are. They're you really could just toss ideas. things out. We'll write them down and we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So maybe this was just an idea somebody threw out. It should have been thrown out, but they instead decided to throw caution to the wind instead and say, what the fuck, and they made Cheetos' favorite Mountain Dew. Because uh, while Cheetos and Mountain Dew uh, pair just as well together as like a nice uh, you know, chicken fricassee and a, a, um, uh, a white Sauvignon Blanc, sure, you know, I suppose if you're not necessarily a gourmand or a sommelier or what have you, then... then uh, if you're worrying about wine pairings or beverage pairings, then yeah, Mountain Dew and Cheetos go together like peanut butter and jelly. They do. Um, not that I'm a stereotypical gamer, per se. I, I, uh, I don't like getting Cheeto cheese dust and greasy crap in the cracks of my controllers because those things are hard to clean and expensive to replace. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not going to say that I've never had Cheetos and Mountain Dew in the same sitting before. And there is a certain amount of uh, complimentary textures and flavors and and profiles and palate mouthfeel kind of shit that goes i mean it's the, the, the internet didn't just pull this out of thin air cheetos and mountain do go well together we'll just say that but do they go well together uh i'm not gonna try this shit even if i see it on a shelf i'm just gonna turn my nose up and walk away uh not that i'm necessarily too snobby to try anything new i i like finding new flavor combinations and trying new beverages and new foods but um Certain things I stay away from on principle. And I think flaming hot Cheeto flavored Mountain Dew would be one of those things. I'll eat bacon on a donut. Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and eat uh, like a fusion food. Like I've had uh, kimchi and bulgogi burritos. Uh, you know, I, I've had spaghetti sandwiches. I've had weird shit. I've had combination foods that shouldn't exist. Franken foods, if you will. And I will. Um, but this is one of those things that I think I'd probably just have to politely decline sampling. It just doesn't sound like it'd be good to me. See, I don't know if I'd be averse to trying it. I, I mean, I, I, I think I'm heavily averse to paying for it. I don't know <laughs> that I want to actually, like, you know, pop open the billfold and make that happen. But if someone yeah. were to offer it to me, I mean, I might. 
I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it depends on the moment, the mood at the moment, the, the, the atmosphere at the time, what it fucking smells like when you open the can, all that. So, I mean, it could smell like vomit and gamer vomit particularly, so. And I've had some weird sodas. There's, there's a soda chain, actually, it's a candy store with a, with a heavy soda component called Rocket Fizz. And they actually have locations all over the place. And they had a location in Vegas when I lived there. I went and bought uh, a couple of really weird 12 packs of soda. And there were some really strange flavors in there. Uh, things like uh, cucumber and sweet corn and ranch dressing and buffalo wing. And, of course, Jones Soda every oh, year yeah. comes out with a, uh, the, the Thanksgiving pack where they make a, uh, like a stuffing and a turkey and, and gravy and mashed potatoes. And, and yeah, yeah, a Thanksgiving. And, and I've tried those. Uh, those I will try. I'll try weird beverages. Any day of the week I will try a weird beverage. But only if I actually like the thing that it's attempting to emulate. And, again, I don't mind Cheetos. I don't mind Mountain Dew. But together, I'm just going to have to give that a hard pass. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, jury's still out. Now, I kept th- looking at articles trying to think that maybe it was a, like an Onion article or a spoof or something like that, but I couldn't find any evidence to that. So if I see it out in the wild, I will put a picture on our Instagram and we'll, we'll maybe, we'll make it happen. I'll tell you what, if you guys donate to the charity and I find it, I'll drink the entire damn thing. How's that? That's a promise. <laughs> I won't like it probably, but I'll do it. But, Send uh, your donations to Fuel Your Fandom at Venmo, at Cash App, and at PayPal, because I, for one, want to see Saint down one of these shitty cans of Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew. You would. I love you, but I, yeah. you know, I want you to do it. If one of us is going to have to do it, it's going to be you, son. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere near that shit. Probably safer that way. But uh, last little news thing I want to talk about, uh, because it's kind of everywhere, and we talked about this just a little bit this morning, uh, doing prep for this show. Uh, there's this new viral trend on TikTok, uh, as, as viral trends tend to do. They're, they're usually pretty stupid, pretty ill-informed, pretty, uh, common denominator, if you will. But the new trend going around is to stack up four-gallon milk crates into a pyramid and try marching up one side and getting down the other. And I got to tell you, Jim, I've watched some of these videos today. I get bored at work. I get a lot of free time, a lot of screen time sitting around. And uh, and in particular, sure. I watched Aussie Man's version of this, uh, his, his take on this trend, this phenomenon, this uh, thing that's going on. And I got to tell you, I have not laughed so hard and yet felt myself cringe and have my butthole pucker so hard as watching these videos they are alarming in their propensity towards immense physical damage at least he already has his mask on for when he overcrowds the hospital he cares about his health to the point that doctors have come out on tiktok and told tiktok to stop posting the videos they've posted articles saying yeah don't do this our hospitals are overloaded with covid patients right now we cannot afford you idiots breaking your skulls trying to do this stupid trend. And if you've seen some of these videos, Jims, I got to say, my God, these people, they'll get to like the top stack and it's like six milk crates high. And then it starts wobbling and you can see them lose their shit. And then down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. It's bad. I have seen a couple of these, and yeah, you're right. Uh, 
And what really kills me the most about this, not as much as it kills the people who try it, uh, stacking up these, you know, it's stacking up these milk crates and, and walking up the milk crates. It's it's the height of idiocy. It's it's as bad as like the Tide Pod challenge. I mean, at least when we did the ice bucket challenge, it was for Lou Gehrig's disease. It was for for ALS. You know, it was it had a good cause behind it. And if you're going to dump water on yourself, that's not going to kill you. It might make your nipples hard. It might give you a little bit of a um, a wake-up call in terms of your temperature, but it's not going to kill you, most likely. Uh, whereas a lot of really stupid, or, or like the ice cream lick challenge, all these stupid challenges that fucking idiots do on social media for like, I don't know, for views? I'm, I'm not really sure. This has to take the cake. Um, I've watched a few of these, and I don't know if it's just that the ones that end in tragedy and not just tragedy but like visibly horrifying tragedy Horrible are the tragedy. ones that kind of get pushed to the front of the queue in terms of when you search for things if those are the ones that because of the the amount of uh of sort of sick schadenfreude of people watching them are the ones that have the most views or what but i've seen five or six of these by now and these absolute imbeciles stack up these milk crates in like this ziggurat of death and they go marching up and usually the first one's fine you can stand on a milk crate that's fine you can, re you can use it for a step stool to reach something two might even you, you might fall off and sprain an ankle but yeah once you get up into like five and six and, and you're a good maybe six and a half feet in the air wobbling around like like a, a drunk trying to find their way back home after a, a bender on a weekend evening uh and then they, they just go down like a harbor side hooker during shore leave and they just bust their ass. Never once has it been like they land on their feet and spring back up and go, ho, oh, oh, that was an adventure. They never tuck and roll or they, they just go down and they go down hard. Things. And I don't know if it's the nature of the, the milk crates themselves or the way gravity works or because of the crouch they're doing with all the way at the top, but I have not seen a single one of these where the idiot motherfucker in question doesn't land square on their goddamn dome. You see their head bounce off the ground, and you see them sit there for a minute, kind of dazed. Conscious in most cases, but there was a couple of them that I saw where people just went down and, and hit the ground with their heads first, and, and then didn't really bounce back up by the time the video cut off. But every single one of these goddamn morons landed on their fucking head. And what kills me the most about this, not kills me again as much as the people who are standing on these idiot milk crates, but what murders me is that we live in a country where people will say to themselves, I'm not taking the vaccine, I don't know what's in it. But they'll walk up a stack of milk crates and land on their face when they fall down. And they do fall down. I, everybody a that I've lot. seen, again, not only ends in tragedy, but I've never seen one where I, somebody I, makes it all the way up to the top and then makes it all the way down I, the other side unharmed. I saw a couple of them. Aussie Man's video, like I said, it was a compilation. And, and towards the end, he showcases a couple that actually made it. And it's by the... the, the the, the hair on their head and the skin on their nuts that they make that because it is it is wobbly death and, and having worked in retail uh groceries specifically for a lot of years almost a decade I, i'm accustomed to standing on milk crates to do things and sitting on milk crates and whatnot and using milk crates for all variety of things uh however yeah once you get past one maybe two they're just a death trap and, and so it's kind of I want to say it's funny, but at the same time, I feel bad laughing. Uh, and then the other part of me is like, well, no, these idiots did it to themselves, so screw it, they're fair game. But uh, they, Yeah, I don't really got, feel bad laughing at all. 
doctors coming out and saying, look, guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Could you not? We have no available space for you. So just well, it's a good thing. Americans, as a general rule, listen to doctors advice without question, because even though these are people who've forgotten more about medical shit than you'll ever know, um, you know, but I'm not taking the vaccine. I don't know what's in it. Well, do you know what's in the Pop-Tart you ate this morning? Or I'm going to take a horse. Do you know what's in the... (laughs) What is that? Horse uh, antibiotics? Ivermectin. I'm going to take hydrochloroquine and ivermectin because I know what's in those, but Uh I won't take a vaccine that's been... Now, uh, at least in one case, when it comes to the uh, Pfizer vaccine, it's been fully approved by the FDA. But, of course, because Americans are idiots and they are incapable... Yeah, seemingly of acting in their own self-interest. Just watch as it's not approved by the FDA magically morphs into, well, I don't trust the FDA. Because if you're bound and determined to be a self-sacrificing and a self-destructive idiot, then no amount of expert opinion is going to sway you away from what you know to be the truth. And personally, and again, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I've gotten to this argument several times online recently, even though from my mental health and my blood pressure, I'm really trying very hard not to argue with imbeciles <laughs> on Facebook anymore, but some of them are just too fucking stupid to live. Literally too stupid to live. Uh, but I have actually stopped arguing with anti-vaxxers. I always just pretty much say the same thing. No, I, I absolutely 100% support your medical freedom to gamble with your own life and die. And I understand that, that people who uh, sometimes will get the virus uh, don't necessarily have any symptoms, and they can shed it, and they can pass it on to other people. That I understand. But for the most part, every credible study that I've seen has shown that the breakthrough vaccination, or, excuse me, the breakthrough infections of even Delta uh, for people that have been vaccinated are not statistically insignificant, but they're between like one and two percent sometimes maybe up to two and a half percent um that's from the cdc that's from the world health organization these are credible sources these are people who've dedicated their lives to attempting to prevent the spread of infectious disease and once again they've forgotten more about this shit than we'll ever know so i do tend to believe them um so if somebody's bound and determined to gamble with their life i absolutely support their right to to not get vaccinated and potentially die because ultimately that just improves the overall average IQ of the American public and sort of like the populace in general. And uh, Darwin will not be denied. If you're that stupid, if you're, if you're really going to look at this vaccine and say, I'm not going to take it, I'm going to gamble with it, maybe I'm going to have myself a handful of horse tranquilizers in the, in the bargain, cool, yeah, go, go for it, go for it. Because if you catch it and die, nothing of value will have been lost because you're a fucking idiot and you don't know even... You, that, we used to say to people, they don't have the good sense to come in out of the rain. And we used to also use the phrase, avoid it like the plague. Well, apparently we need to avoid, uh, we need to amend our language a little bit because people aren't smart enough to avoid death. They're not smart enough to avoid death. So uh, I don't care. I no longer, I have run out of sympathy. I have run out of understanding. If you're somebody who's not vaccinated and you're just taking your chances on who you could possibly infect or possibly even infect yourself, then more power to you. I support your medical freedom to gamble with your life and die. Go for it. It's like Jeff Goldblum says in uh, Jurassic Park. Life uh, finds a way. So, yeah, and something that's really that's, that's little understood about uh, Darwin and, and Origin of Species. Charles Darwin put ahead the idea that uh, he called it survival of the fittest, or it's been come to be called survival of the fittest. But it's not survival of the strongest, it's not survival of the smartest. It's survival of the most adaptable. The virus is growing, changing, and learning. That's why we're on the Delta variant. We're that far down the list. And the Lambda variant is coming up. I've heard rumblings of that. Uh, the, what survives is the thing that is the most adaptable. This is why when climate change happens and the frost line climbs up the mountain and suddenly the ice caps start to melt, 
the wolves that move north uh, that actually have the white fur that is better camouflaged against the snow are going to live long enough to pass on the genes that cause more white fur in their offspring, and those are the ones that are going to be the ones that actually live through the winter. Um, yeah, survival of the fittest is survival of the most adaptable. The virus is learning, growing, and changing. And if you're going to sit there and say that you're not going to do the same thing based on the availability of new information, then guess what? When the virus kills you, Darwin has won. And I am out of sympathy. All right. Well, we were talking about uh, Milk Crate Challenge, but we kind of went into the ever-present topic of uh, this pandemic, which, of course, is affecting everybody in... And, and, and vastly different ways and so uh we do tend to get a bit preachy and political about that because well okay we do tend to get a bit uh preachy and uh adamant about that because uh it's something that we care very deeply about it's something that has become a political issue that should not be a political issue and it's science is not political no science doesn't care health is not political doesn't care who you believe in. Doesn't care what you vote for. Uh, no, it's it's like math. It's constant. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, even that was not the thrust of today's conversation. Believe it or not, and that's definitely something Jim and I can both uh, talk about at length and uh, with varying degrees of fervor. Uh, but ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. But this is the Feel Your Fandom podcast, and I, for one, am not a fan. Of this goddamn pandemic. So, let's move on. Nor I. That was our tiny little nerd news nexus bump for the week. Uh, nerdling newsling nexus. I don't know. Kind we of will news. get on our soapboxes from time to time. We just won't get on any fucking milk crates. <laughs> exactly that. Now, what I had in mind for today's conversation, and this is something I've given a lot of thought to, being a, a person who's very deeply ingrained in the science fiction world and in, you know, fantasy and... Uh, technology uh, as a a whole uh, uh, there's no real debating whether or not science fiction has helped shape uh, the future of technology I mean it's a pretty given topic at this point Uh, whether we're talking about like uh, the old flip phones uh, being uh, originating from an idea that stemmed from Star Trek uh, the original series or we're talking about Bluetooth communicators you know from next gen or uh, you know, medical tricorders that they've definitely copied now and, and copied to the point that they look exactly like the tricorders off of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, medical examination tools. Uh, there's a lot of technology that we have cribbed from science fiction uh, that is amazing and wonderful. Uh, and then there is uh, technology that we could adapt, that we've been working towards. And then there's technology that we probably shouldn't. So that's kind of where I wanted to, to have this conversation with you, Jim. Because I know you're, you're, you're a tech head just like me. You like uh, the buttons and toys and the gizmos and doodads. And that's just a thing we both kind of share as a... I am, yeah. I, I mean, if it's new and bright and shiny, I'm all up on it. And, uh, and that goes to figure for things like new technology, like things that they're developing, like uh, AR and VR and... Um, uh, like HoloLens and things like that, and uh, which I've wanted to get my hands on since I heard it was a thing. Uh, yeah. But here are some like what are some examples that you know of that would be uh, technology that is derived from our fiction, our media. Well, what I don't know that it's necessarily. 
Well, I don't know that it's necessarily science fiction, but there's, there's a, um, because I, I work in marketing and I have for a very long time, uh, I've been a, a copywriter for a long time and I write, um, ads and, and marketing and websites and social media and that sort of thing. There's a very famous series of advertisements that came out, I want to say mid eighties, late eighties from AT&T and okay. they were called the you will ads. Have you ever watched the movie you wanted to? The minute you want it to, you will. And the company that'll bring it to you, AT&T. And if you haven't seen these, if you go and look up on YouTube, you can search them on Google also, just say the you will AT&T ads. And these things were remarkably prescient at coming up with um, very soon-to-debut technology, and not just the ideas behind the technology, but also, in many cases, a form factor that follows very closely to things that we now take for granted and recognize. Um, things like, uh, it's Tom Selleck doing the voiceover, which of course is very interesting because he was Magnum P.I. in the 80s, but uh, they, they shot several series of, of vignettes, and they kind of put them together and mixed and matched them in these commercials, and usually there were two or three per, per commercial because you get a 30-second commercial. Each one of these was about 10 seconds long. So YouTube is full of these things, and it's things like, have you ever sent a fax from the beach? And then you have a guy who's uh, walking around with a tablet uh, on a beach, and then he signs his name and hits send, and then you see this this tablet send a fax, which of course, you know, fax is a little bit outdated, but then he walks towards the surf, and his tablet sends his message. Have you ever attended a meeting on vacation? Again, similarly, somebody's walking around in a beach hut, and they've got a screen up in front of them that's got tiles on it, and he's talking to a bunch of people on a webcam, and they're all talking back, which is very reminiscent of Zoom, which you and I are talking over right now. Or have you ever bought concert tickets from a cash machine? It shows somebody walking up with a credit card to swipe their card, and a grid full of seats pops up in front of them. They select their seats, and they spit out paper tickets in the bottom, and then they grab their tickets and walk away. And then the tagline of it is, you will. And the company that will bring it to you is AT&T. And there were probably 30 or 40 different 10-second vignettes that they blended together in a series of commercials. And with the exception of a couple of them, almost all of them have come to pass. The one that really kills me is it said, uh, have you ever paid a toll without ever sl- without slowing down? And it shows somebody with an iPass going through a toll booth. And then in the same commercial, usually because this one was transportation-focused, have you ever driven cross-country without unfolding a map? And then somebody's in a car, and embedded in their dashboard is a GPS screen with a, a map on it, and it's 3D, just like Google Maps is, and it shows a little arrow with the position where your vehicle is, and you're driving on highways that are outlined on a, on a digital map in front of you. And if anybody watches these now, they're going to think, oh yeah, so that's GPS, yeah, that's that's concert tickets at a kiosk, yeah, that's all these things, but... In some cases, these are 20 or 25 years before these things actually hit the market. Um, so Incredibly I'm not really pressing. sure. Yeah. yeah, they were really, really on, on task. And again, I don't know if this was because AT&T already had these, these products in, in prototype, in research and development. They come up with the ideas, whatever. And in a lot of cases, uh, AT&T did have a hand in developing some of these technologies, or at least offers them now on some level. But with with... The random exception of maybe one or two, th- even Netflix. Have you ever watched the movie w- that you want when you want? And it shows a bunch of kids flipping through some tiles on a screen. Yeah, let's watch that. And hitting a button on a remote control and the movie starts immediately. It is eerie how accurately these things predicted not just the ideas, not just the stuff that we take for granted now, but the actual form factor in which we know them to appear and use them every day now. So it's if you haven't seen these, I, I highly encourage you to search for at and will on 
on, on YouTube. And it, what really drives it home that these these are old commercials is that every one of them is presented in in uh, a, a smeary standard definition. And sometimes you'll even get artifacts in the corners of the screen from where somebody uploaded these things from an old VHS tape. I mean, it's obvious that they're not ancient history. I mean, within our lifetime, but they're they're twenty or twenty five years old, and they accurately predict just about everything that we use now that's that's some kind of a digital technology have you ever taken a class from across the country um especially now with covid and a lot of us working and taking classes remotely all of these will. things are it's just yeah. creepy it is creepy as shit to watch these because again you just watch them and you think yeah i've done that i did that seven times today uh but it was something that just came up in the last couple of years so that is the one that when we started thinking about this it jumped out at me it wasn't from entertainment necessarily but it was from pop culture so no, that's the that, one that I thought of right out of the gate. That's an incredibly cool example. I'm gonna have to sit there and look at those and uh, and, and kind of compare those. But uh, yeah, that's eerie. But uh, I remember back when uh, I got my first phone. I got a Nokia back in the day, and it was one of them old brick ones. Yeah, you know, indestructible little bastards. And you could kill a man with one of those if you hit him in the temple with it. Right. I'm pretty sure it's what Thor's hammers made out of. Yeah, uh, but uh, like vibranium, adamantium, Nokia phone. Those things they will they'll stop a bullet. And I absolutely. think a few of them actually even literally they have. Probably have, yeah. But uh, I, I remember uh, going to the the booth at the mall and, and seeing they had the StarTac, the Motorola StarTac. Yeah, and that was the flip phone. That was the one I wanted. This was before, and I swear to God, I remember having these thoughts, and and I feel like such a grandpa thinking them now, but I had these thoughts where it's like, whoa, look at that flip phone. It's it's small and it's compact and it'll fit right it's in your sexy. pocket. The fucking razor phone, the Motorola razor when it came out, it's like, man, that's just like a communicator out of Star Trek. It's badass, and you see them coming out with the. The, the chocolate bar phones is what they called them back in the day, the candy bar phones. Yeah. Uh, when, when they started moving to this kind of form factor that we have now, uh, and I just remember distinctly thinking, who would want that? They keep getting bigger and bigger. Jesus, it's like holding a TV to your face. And why would anyone <laughs> want that? And now all I keep thinking of is it, it's exactly a TV on your yeah. face. It's a tiny TV, and I remember as a kid that when I, every I time I shoot anything, for one the biggest those, one, I shoot for the biggest yeah. one. My screen, my, my phone has an almost seven inch screen on it, and they used to call those phablets, you know. But now they just kind of they're they're the exception rather than the rule. But this I remember normal, as a kid, yeah. in, when I was in grade school and junior high, more than anything, I wanted one of those uh, little Sony Watchmen. You know, look, it looked like a Walkman or yes. a transistor radio. Had a yes. tiny little grainy black and white screen on it, an antenna you could extend, and and a little physical dial that you could scrub up and down and look for UHF and VHF stations, and and um, you know you could you could watch television in the palm of your hand. And I remember thinking, how cool is that as a kid? Or when you would watch the Jetsons, and they'd have that uh, the, the the view phone where George would talk to Mister Spacely on the phone, and they could see each other. And and uh, how cool is that when you're a kid? That's what the future's going to look like. But yeah, the phones, uh, they, they were, for a while, for a long time, the, the trend was towards smaller and smaller phones. And of course, we all remember that famous scene in Zoolander where Ben Stiller takes out what looks like a Tic Tac and opens up a tiny little grain of rice from the bottom of it and then, hello, holds it to the side of his head and like with his thumb and forefinger. Earth to Matilda, this phone is as much a part of me as... You know what? Can we just cut it out with all the Earth twos, please? Uh, but then as soon as we figured out that we could watch entertainment on our phones... That's when we started actually seeing the phones get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where now um, 
if you know a woman, and chances are if you're a carbon-based life from lives in the universe, you do know a woman, every woman I know has to keep her phone in her back pocket because the phones are so big they won't even fit in the shitty tiny little I-can-put-an-Aldi-quarter-in-here pocket that they put on women's pants because they got to turn around and then sell them an expensive handbag. And if they gave them pockets, they wouldn't be able to, you know, maximize their bottom line with, with uh, purses. Uh, so I can fit my phone in my pocket because I'm a man and I have giant pants and I have adequate sized pockets. But yeah, uh, women have to put theirs in their back pocket. And I really think that's why women are unfairly maligned. I, I, I've seen a lot of people make the point that, you know, women's phones are always cracked. Uh, you know, anytime I see a cracked screen, it's always in a woman's hand, which is misogynist and sexist and horrible thing to say. But what they don't realize is that, um, you know, women have to put their phones in purses and pockets uh, that are not intended to hold phones. So that's a really unfortunate uh, uh, patriarchal effect, chunk yeah. of bullshit. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, a lot of the the phone stuff does, I mean, we've, we've advanced so far into science fiction with that. One of the cool yeah. things like I've seen on the horizon and, and I've kind of watched develop is, is, is a long time ago they had... Uh, uh, there was a Kickstarter, and I know it must not have gotten approved because I've never seen this product in the wild. Uh, it was like a, a watch. Not a watch, but it was like a bracelet that you wear on your wrist. And uh, uh, it, what it did was it had little light projectors along the inner wrist line. And what it would do is it would project uh, a phone screen along your forearm. Mm. And so it's having a phone in your arm, basically. And I, th- I want to say it was like, uh, a speakerphone. I don't. I don't think it was like we we were quite to bone conduction technology at that point yet. But uh, it was something that was really cool to me as an idea. And what I've seen uh, going forward now. Uh, this isn't a spoiler. This has been out for a while. So if you're into the new Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, they've gone. Uh, uh, what was that? A thousand years into the future. And they did that to blah, 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 plot device, plot device. We won't get into the, the history of that. We do that with John. He's not here today. But they go a thousand years into the future from this time that was supposedly before uh, the TOS era, the Kirk and Spock era. And so where they end up is we've surpassed like next generation with the comm badges. We've surpassed uh, Voyager had comm badges, Deep Space Nine had comm badges. All of the communicator technology ended up going from handheld device to just a little brooch that you wear. And and it's like basically Bluetooth connectable to the ship or to wherever else. Their, their Bluetooth has incredible range. But now we've gotten to a point where we've surpassed that. And we've taken a couple of different ideas and mashed them into one. Because like on away missions, you have to carry what they called a tricorder. What the tricorder yeah. did was a scanner, basically. Uh, scanner, uh, life form readings. Uh, you got medical scanners that'll, or medical tricorders that'll take uh, diagnostic information on humans and, and aliens and whatnot. And, and, and you kind of had to have that separate piece of equipment. Well, what they've done now, and, and kind of why I bring it up now when we're talking about that weird Kickstarter bracelet, is that they've uh, come out with on the new series of Discovery, they've again combined everything into that brooch that they wear. Their comm badge not only has now their pips on it, which mm-hmm. is their rank insignia, uh, but it also has the ability to project, like R2-D2 style, shoot out a projection of whatever you need it to do. It's a multifunctional computer. 
and, and it's it operates on like a, a hologram kind of light beam based technology so then again now not only do you have your communicator but you have this this multifunctional scanning computer that's built into this thing and it just projects wherever you go and in fact they show one of the crew members uh, one of my absolute favorite characters her name is uh, uh, Tilly uh, she's an ensign on the ship and uh, uh, she's she's basically ADD brain she's got squirrel brain just like me and that's yeah. why I think I identify with her and uh, so she's just walking around like multitasking like a motherfucker with this thing just walking around and because it's like VR or AR she can see through it but it's also there like HoloLens and whatnot. and so she's yeah. able to keep working and keep interfacing with the computer while walking and talking and, and it's like oh my god I would lose my shit if I had that because I would just I'd be connected 24-7 I'd never know what to do with myself I could get so much done. I mean, as it is, I I, I I don't. I'm not one of those people that lives with my phone in my hand. But I also definitely have fallen into the trap of, if I'm not actively doing anything else, if I'm not working, if I'm not eating, if I'm not, if I'm standing in line or sitting around doing nothing else, or even like on the toilet, you know, you got to have your phone in your hand because, God forbid, any of us is alone with our thoughts for more than ten seconds at a time. <laughs> um, and you can only read the shampoo bottle so many times. I, I will I will not ding myself so hard as to say that I'm guilty of using my phone inappropriately, but it's definitely my go-to anti-boredom device for when I'm not actively doing anything with my brain. So having something like that around would be probably an issue for me because I would probably never be able to put it down. But kind of going back to what you said about the, uh, the, the light bracelet that projected onto your wrist, I can sort of like, and you, you also probably can, uh, figure out why that might have sounded like a good idea but wouldn't have taken off uh it's because my phone has i think a 6.7 inch screen or something and it's uh, uh got 4k resolution and it's incredibly i would not trade that for something that has to project over my arm hair right and i mean and that can get to the point where it would look incredibly ableist as well uh because yeah. we also have people who Maybe don't have an arm they can't use it, or maybe they're they're sure they're not physically able to use it, or maybe and and this is just spitballing. I have no idea whether this is actually a problem with it or not, but we already have uh, like uh, retinal displays and things like that that refuse yeah. to open for people of darker skin tones. Yeah, uh, finger fingerprint readers that can't read uh, the fingerprints of people with darker skin tones, which is absolutely alarming. Uh, and, and certainly something that they have been working to fix, but like your screen wouldn't look the same on a light skin arm or a darker arm. It would change too many variables. And so, yeah, I get that it's an interesting idea, but I think it's it's more usable in terms of if you think of things like AR or like the the, the Microsoft Hololens or the, yeah. even even the ill-fated Google Glass at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a white person with a hairless arm, uh, projecting onto your skin is probably not going to be for you. And that kind of excludes a lot of men. It excludes a lot of people of color. Uh, so I can't imagine that the target audience for a device like that would have necessarily been sufficient enough to sustain a production run, certainly. Right. And another thing that I think is really interesting and definitely has its, its, uh, its root in science fiction and early uh, pop culture, uh, we have the really just ever-present uh, growth of the wearables technology, the smartwatch technology. Mm -hmm. And, of course, anyone who's ever worn a smartwatch, myself included... Uh, and me. Right. They are... If you if you don't strap one of those bad boys to your wrist and, 
and feel like Dick Tracy, what the hell are you doing wrong? Because that's yeah. that's directly Dick Tracy with his radio watch. The and, two-way and, wrist radio. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And, uh, I mean, you can't look at it and not feel like that is not directly derivative of Dick Tracy. I mean, it has to be. They, they, the designers had to have had that in mind. Hey, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, you know? And if you if you Google, a, and I, I haven't done this yet, I haven't thought about this because we had, didn't talk about that particular um, piece of technology before we got started here, but if you look up a Google image search of the Dick Tracy two-way wrist radio, it's even square. And most smartwatches, because most, I mean, mine isn't uh, because I have a OnePlus watch because I have a OnePlus phone, but um, it's an Android device, but uh, Apple because they are kind of, for better or for worse, the 500-pound gorilla that somewhat owns that smartwatch space in many ways. Their their watch is uh, square, if not slightly rectangular, and um, y- you can't tell me that wasn't intentional based on the uh, the Dick Tracy wrist radio. Absolutely not. And, and in addition, now another technology that, again, Apple has not cornered the market on but definitely has name recognition for uh, is the iPad. Now, uh, growing up, uh, watching a lot of sci-fi, again, going back to like Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all that, they had these devices called PADS. Uh, hmm? P-A-D-D, Personal Access Data Device, or something like that. I forget what that uh, stands for, P-A-D-D. But uh, they carry these around, and, and in most cases, and, and I've heard uh, John Champion, our good friend John Champion, talk about it on the podcast a lot, uh, because you know they'll have like 16 PADS stacked up on a desk, and it's kind of, oh, that's funny. You know, because where yeah. we're at right now, we could take one iPad uh, with a big enough memory and have the entire Library of Congress available to us, basically. And yeah, so, really. Uh, uh, it's kind of a, a a funny thing to go like, okay, that's antiquated, but the idea is still there. Having all this data available to you in a digital format. They even did that with like sound files and sound clips and MP3s with uh, like... There's a particular case uh, where Worf liked to hand off his collection of uh, Klingon opera. Uh, I, I believe he loaned it to Jedzia Dax. And, uh, it was a series of, uh, of data crystals or data rods or whatever they used, isolinear chips. But uh, uh, essentially what they're saying is you can carry all of this in a device and have it with you at all times. You're not going to be dependent upon CDs or records or tapes or eight tracks or wax cylinders or whatever the hell else you've been listening to your music on. All of a sudden, that's going to be a digital file. I would imagine that Klingon opera is about as pleasant to listen to as Vogon poetry. No, 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 really, really, you don't have to read. We've put you through enough trouble already. Plurdled gabble launches on a lurking <laughs> Probably very similar. Group, uh, I implore thee, my funting turling drums. Boy, I need to watch that again. Or listen to the books. I listened to the books on tape a long time ago for for Douglas Adams, and I think it's, it's due another run through. But, uh, yeah, so iPads and I, Apple Watches and iPhones and all of this technology, Bluetooth communication, uh, it's, it's a real big collection of uh, technological advancement that has directly stemmed from 
pop culture and science fiction. Um, so that's a large part of what we wanted to talk about today that has been done. Now, of course, we're having advances and strides made in all directions uh, regarding uh, science fiction technology, things that uh, have happened. I mean, just look at what Tesla can do, what a Tesla Motors car can do. And whether or not you want to have the debate about electric versus uh, uh, fossil fuel, or if you want to have the argument of, well, it shouldn't be driving by itself, but it can, but it shouldn't, uh, whatever. Be that as it Or may. even if you want to bust Elon Musk's chops because he's kind of a douchebag billionaire. Do. Fine, you know, whatever. But if you look at the, the, the actual product itself, um, you know, Tesla Innovative. is kind of a marvel of engineering. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it really is the way things need to go. And I was having this conversation with uh, some of the crew members that I transport. Uh, again, I work for the railways, and we uh, transfer we transport all the uh, the rail crew members here and to and fro. And uh, one of the times we got uh, like a two hour drive, and so we just we were talking about uh, what it would take to make electric vehicles more present in the marketplace, make it more of a viable option. Uh, one of the many things that we discussed, of course, was. The ready availability of electric power and electric charging stations mm-hmm. and things like that, because uh, they're not as ubiquitous as we want them to be at this point. They are popping up all over the place. They are coming quicker and quicker, and and we are seeing that become a more widely available resource. And with a, a car whose range is only what three hundred miles, four hundred miles at top, you're going to need if you're doing a road trip to have that place where you could pull over, stop, and and. Uh, re-energize the old uh, the lithium crystals, if you will. But uh, uh, what we talked about with that was not only the, the, we have to have this readily available uh, supply of these chargers where you can make that uh, a more feasible concern, but we also have to have uh, more clean energy, uh, solar power, wind power, things like that that don't burn mm-hmm. the fossil fuels in the first place because otherwise we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. We're not being as globally conscious as we need to be with these devices. Uh, you can you can pat yourself on the back all you want. Oh, I drive a Tesla. I get pure electric energy. Yeah, but where does that electricity come from? Burning coal. Most energy, so, yeah. Most uh, power plants that, that provide electricity, municipal power grids, still burn coal for energy. So it really is just kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul, taking your stuff out of one pocket and putting it in the other. Because whether or not you're burning petroleum or coal, you're still burning fossil fuels. So, yeah. I mean, if there's any way that we can find a way to convert solar power and wind power, both with geothermal, hydrothermal, whatever we got, hydroelectric, uh, into cleaner energy, that's going to be a, a major determinant uh, of the future of the electric car. Because, um, yeah, really, they've, they've done everything they can. The other thing that I remember reading about that a lot of people had concerns about is I think I remember hearing that it takes anywhere from between half an hour to 45 minutes to fully charge a Tesla battery, which itself is magnificent. If you've ever worked with rechargeable batteries, sometimes they take quite a while. Uh, right. I just bought a new Bluetooth headset, and it says it's got to charge at least an hour so you can get 10 hours of use out of it. And that's perfectly reasonable. It's perfectly fine. But if you're traveling somewhere, chances are you're on a schedule. And if you have to schedule a break every three to 400 miles to stop for an hour and recharge your battery, that's not exactly conducive towards keeping, making good time as 
we always used to say on the road. So I remember hearing that Tesla was, I don't know whatever became of this. I haven't really heard anything else about it since I read the original article, but Tesla was talking about having dedicated charging stations where you could pay X amount of dollars to charge your car and maybe go into a nice lounge and get yourself a lemonade and read a newspaper, fart around on your phone, watch TV, whatever. Or for a slightly larger surcharge, you could pull into like an almost oil change bay where there'd be some people underneath like mm. there are at the Quick Lube and they could just go boop, 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 and zip off the battery as it attached to the bottom of your car and put on a new battery and treat it like it's like a propane tank at, a, at an RV park where you would just swap out an empty one for a full one. And that actually that. would, uh, yeah, that would be a, a slightly uh, lower charge because, uh, or maybe it will be, I don't, I'm not sure if they decided it was more or less, because if you bring an empty to get new propane for your RV, it's, it's less than if you're buying a canister outright. Um, and they want you to recycle those canisters. Uh, but I think it was a, a slightly larger surcharge, both for the labor involved and somebody having to manually unscrew your battery. Or, of course, they, you know, the, the prototype they showed or the concept video they showed was a robot doing it. Um, but for the convenience, because you could be back on the road and, and they said the amount of time it would ordinarily take to fill up a, a 16-gallon gas tank, five minutes or less. Um, so either pay a certain amount of money for the time and the electricity to wait for the hour to 45 minutes it would take, or the half an hour to 45 minutes that it would take to recharge your battery, or just zip on a new one and drive off after five minutes. They both were technologically viable, but of course everything boils down to money, and we need to sort of figure out where the, uh, the benefit is for both ends of the equation on that one. Right. And then another factor with electric vehicles that we talked about, and, and this is definitely something that warrants uh, looking into because uh, there's a large portion there's a large portion of the population that drives their vehicles for fun. And I'm not here to say that the Tesla's not fun. In fact, it looks amazing. I would love to drive a Tesla. They look fantastic. It's a very sexy car. They drive fantastic. I want to say, I think it's one of only two or three products in history that's got a perfect 10 rating from Consumer Reports. It's it's an absolutely amazing product. It's sexy. It drives great. The creature comforts are outstanding. The interior is great. There's nothing about it they could find fault with. So, yeah, you're definitely on with that one. But they have to make, if they want to have electric vehicles become more and more commonplace like they do, uh, they're going to have to make them in a variety of shapes and sizes. And they've started doing that with the new... Ugh, I hate calling it a Mustang because it doesn't feel like a Mustang to me, but the new uh, Mach-E Mustang Electric, and they've got the Ford F-150 Lightning now, the uh, the electric-powered uh, Ford truck, and uh, so that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. They have to make these in more shapes. They've got to make them uh, for all... Uh, types of drivers. They have to make it more readily accessible, available, and they have to make it fun. Because if a car is not fun, there's a whole large part of the population that is not going to want to drive it. It's not right. going to be something that appeals to them. And if it doesn't appeal, then there's no way you're going to willingly get someone to switch from their, you know, 1967 Mustang Coupe, uh, which they are fun. They're not technologically advanced at this point, but they're fun. You gotta they have something that draws these people in and makes them want to make that change. I think Tesla's done a real bang up job of uh, creating vehicles that people want to drive, just by the amount of Teslas that I see on the road, versus say the amount of Priuses, which is definitely, in my opinion, dropped. It could be, it could be the same. It could be better. I don't know. I don't 
do the numbers on these things, but I do see a lot of cars on the road every day doing my job, and I see a lot of Teslas. I see them there yeah. everywhere. I worked and lived in San Francisco for a very brief period of time. I had a contract with a company out in Silicon Valley, and I had quite a bit of a commute. And whether or not it's the fact that it was a local product or whether it was that it was easy on gas and people in California tend to be more eco-conscious as a general uh, stereotype, or whether it's just that they could use the EV lane and sort of take a large chunk off of what are legendarily long commutes in California, but every second or third car on the road was a Tesla some days. And that makes sense, but... What you say makes a lot of sense also. They're going to have to find ways to make those cars fun, sexy, appealing. All the things that we... I mean, this this country is really built on roads. From the time that the interstate highway system went through, right after the New Deal, um, it really became a country that you could, you know, jump in your car and drive. See the USA and your Chevrolet and all that. And as sort of an, an offshoot of that, I remember reading an article not long ago where uh, General Motors... Uh, is actually phasing out the internal combustion engine. And it will happen in our lifetime. It's going to happen very soon. Uh, this article that I'm looking at right now says, General Motors plans to completely phase out vehicles using internal combustion engines by 2035. That's 14 years. That's not long. Right. Chairman and Executive Officer Mary Barra announced Thursday that the automaker will go completely carbon neutral at all facilities worldwide by 2035. So not just their vehicles, but also their production. By 2035, 14 years from now, GM will no longer sell cars with internal combustion engines. And that is the kind of bold move we need to see. It's going to be too little too late in terms of environmental things. That's just, sadly, you know, we're, we're about 10 or 15, 20, maybe even years behind where we need to be in terms of trying to figure out how to save the environment. That's a good step, uh, but I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, when an industry leader like GM makes a bold statement like that and then is already taking steps to back it up, then I think a lot of other manufacturers are going to have to follow suit. And you're right, like you said, I mean, the original electric cars were not fully electric cars. They were hybrid cars, things like the Prius or the um, the, Leaf. the uh, Toyota the Toyota Prius or the, the Honda Insight or the Leaf. And for the most part, they, they had the city car, uh, quote-unquote city car styling, where they sort of looked like they were compacts and kind of like roller skates. They weren't sexy cars. They were... Uh, environmentally conscious they were very comfortable on the inside they look yeah like the they did look like shuttlecraft that. yeah they're sort of um look like little eggs on wheels and and uh you know they don't have the sex appeal of something like a mustang or something like a corvette um a sports car styling and tesla was really the first company that came along that sort of combined good styling with the responsible power source unless so, you look at their truck i don't want to look at their truck thank you very much but there's another company that is coming out uh, with a car. Uh, Lucid Motors is, is, is a company that's, that's competing with Tesla directly. They're also out of San Francisco, and they've got a, uh, a car that they're hoping to debut this year. They've, they've already got the production facilities that are being built for it. And um, what was the other one? The Karma that came out a while ago? Uh, Justin Bieber had one of those. I remember that uh, uh, it was kind of a sexy sports car with really low-slung styling, and, and um, those were out for a little while. But... You know, GM, I think this move towards phasing out internal combustion engines is a good move, but it also, in many ways, I think is probably a male culpa. I watched a documentary a while ago, Who Killed the Electric Car, yeah. where um, they, they didn't sell any of the original Chevy EVs. I think they were Chevy. Uh, and people that bought them absolutely loved them. It really was, if I'm not mistaken, the first mass market full electric, non-hybrid, full electric vehicle. And they were just beloved by the people who had them, but they they wouldn't sell them. They only leased them. And then at the end of the lease period, they recalled them all and they had to give up their cars. 
uh, and they all sat on a lot where they were crushed and destroyed. Um, the documentary, if you haven't seen it, is fantastic. Who killed the electric car? They just had row after row after row of these perfectly mechanically sound, uh, beloved by their leases vehicles, leasers, and they just took these cars back at the end of the, their lease terms and, and ran them through a crusher for no reason anybody could discern, except for they just considered it a failed experiment. But now we're, we're moving back towards that. So I throw them in favor of it, but you're right. As you say, we need to come up with some better designs so that we can sort of avoid that uh, egg-on-wheels shuttlecraft effect that you see in a lot of Priuses. If we can take some cues from Tesla, not just in terms of technology, but also in terms of design, I think that's going to serve the market well going forward. But we definitely need to make some, some pretty big changes in that direction and not these sort of uh, token gestures and head fakes we've seen up until now. Right, and then, of course, uh, we talk about uh, technology that they shouldn't adapt. And uh, when you start talking about electric vehicles, uh, invariably, if you're talking about you know what we were promised as far as the future now, you can't escape the, uh, the people going, oh, well, what about my flying car? We were supposed to have flying cars by now. And, and pretty wet much, fart sound. Pretty much. Uh, we shouldn't have them. I'm going to be no. very, very blunt about this one. We should not have flying cars. Every couple of years you see somebody come out with, oh, the flying car is only a couple of years away, and they have these really sexy uh, Unreal Engine rendered videos, and they have these concept things, and they're soliciting investors, but yeah, no. we don't, No. Just a big fat no on that. I'm on the roads every day, constantly. That's my job. It's what I do before it was my job. I was traveling for my other job. I mean, I'm on the roads a lot. And so I see every type of driver. And I swear to you, uh, these drivers, we have hundreds of thousands of car accidents every year. You know, it's a huge, huge problem. And it's either you're distracted in driving or you know, mechanical difficulties or what have you. Or you're just a really super shitty driver who shouldn't be behind (laughs) the wheel of a vehicle. Right. Regardless of whether or not you pass that driving test, uh, with or without your mom's help, you should not be behind the wheel of a car. And no. Now, picture that in the sky. We we have problems driving as a humanity, as a whole, on the x-axis, the flat plane. We can't do it very well. We can't do it very reliably for whatever reasons, be it distracted driving, be it mechanical failure, being you're just a shit driver. Now, put that in three dimensions. Put you up in the air. Uh, where there's no roads to contain you. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Where there's no uh, limits to where you can drive. All of a sudden, we're going to have to treat everything just like uh, the flyover rule in New York City after 9-11. And if you remember anything about that, if you tried to fly over New York City after 9-11, you were chased out and escorted by F-15s because you were in restricted airspace. There is now, a reason why air traffic controller tops the list of most stressful jobs ever. Yeah. Because even with just commercial airplanes, and if you have ever flown ever, and I know a lot of people haven't, but if you've ever been to an airport, and I go to airports a lot, I wind up doing a lot of traveling, I'm a travel writer, um, 
you'll see 10, 20 airplanes at a terminal. There's planes taking off and landing all the time. And that is a full-time, high-stress, high-paid job for somebody to sit in a little tower. And if you've ever seen the movie Pushing Tin with Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton, uh, that was, uh, according to most air, air traffic controllers that I read, said it was a pretty dramatized but somewhat accurate depiction of what that job is like. And so now imagine all the cars you see on the road, all the hundreds of thousands of cars you see on the road, now they're not just occupying a basically line grid that you could apply to a map overhead, now they're in the air. And if they're not crashing into each other, they're running out of fuel because they feel like they can eke out that last couple of miles on the empty fumes that they have in their tank, and they're crashing into a grade school, or they're colliding into each <laughs> other in midair and taking each other out. Right. Uh, air disasters are very, very rare because pilots are highly trained, and planes are incredibly specialized pieces of equipment with many, many fail-safes and all kinds of safety gear procedures, equipment, what have you. If you put the... Think of... George Carlin is, is one of my favorite comedians of all time. And he said, Absolutely. think about how stupid the average person you meet on a daily basis is. And now understand that in order for them to be the average, that means that statistically speaking, half of everybody is dumber than they are. So using what we know from that, <laughs> think about how shitty the average driver is on the road. Now you drive for a living. You're literally a professional driver. And so, yeah, I, I do drive. I'm not as skilled at it as you are, but I've, I haven't had an accident since I was about 17 years old. So <clears throat> I'd say you're a professional and I'm above average. Um, can't touch you, but it is what it is. And I still am out there. I see people changing lanes without signals. I see people cutting other people off. I don't see too many car accidents because I don't spend the amount of time on road that you do. But if you go to YouTube and search things like idiots in cars or dash cam videos, you will see absolutely horrific accidents in which vehicles are destroyed, people are killed, um, head-on accidents, people jumping curbs, taking out telephone poles, getting into T-bone accidents and intersections, and... These are just people that went to the DMV and were able to pass the eye test and, and were, had enough brain cells to rub together to pass the written test and say, oh yeah, when the red one comes up, that means I have to stop my car. Now, take these people and put them in the fucking air behind the wheel <laughs> of maybe a first or even second generation flying car. Unless you have some sort of process in place where it uses some complicated GPS to take over autopilot when you're in the air that, so that you can't fuck it up. But then again, it goes back to what you said before, where if we're having a hard time with people having autopilot and their Teslas on the ground, again, yeah, <laughs> extrapolate that to three dimensions in the air and see what sort of loss of life and property damage and, and uh, horrifying, debilitating, fatal accidents you run into once that idiot that cut you off at the intersection last week that you waved your finger out the window and had some choice words when you rolled down that same window to stick your finger out for... Put that guy behind the wheel of what's essentially a two-ton airplane with very little training and whatever slapdash lowest bidder safety systems they're able to put in place on that thing, and then launch him up into the fucking air. See how you feel. Good happy, luck. Uh, yeah, happy day. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. If you if you don't have some guy in a uh, a Buick aileron crashing into your backyard or crashing into your kid's grade school or what have you, then. I just don't see how it would work. Every couple of years, they promise us a flying car, and dear, sweet, non-existent fucking Jesus, do I hope we never get it. The Buick Aileron. I love it. Uh, Jesus, yeah. So, uh, I can't stress this enough. We are not equipped for flying vehicles. We are not equipped uh, not even for, close. for personalized flying vehicles. It's just not a good idea. At least at this point. Until they develop the technology that Tesla's been working on with the mm -hmm. The auto nav and everything like that. It's just not a good idea. But 
The last segment of technology I want to talk about, and this one's really, really exciting for me because, and probably for you, because I love to eat. I'm a food oh, guy. Yeah. I am, as they say, very food motivated. Feed me, Simo. Feed me all night long. <laughs> Anybody who listened to the last episode had to sit there and listen to me prattle on about how good the food in New Orleans was. So I'm not going to belabor that point anymore. But there's a reason why I uh, am working with a weight loss clinic right now. I'm trying to erase the sins of cheeseburgers past. Right. And uh, so if and, and it's funny you mentioned cheeseburgers because that's one of the things I want to talk about. Because we have now, of course, I'm going to tell you unequivocally, I am not a vegan. I am not a vegetarian. I am omnivorous. You put it in my face, odds are good I'll probably eat it. Even yeah. avocado take that however you will but that's called a tie back kids Um, you're gonna take it (laughs) gross but uh i mean if it's if it's a food i've probably tried it or i'm willing to try it or you know whatever i I, i'm pretty open with what i eat and don't eat but yeah i'm very food motivated and and so i love seeing this technological advance as it comes to things like uh, processed cheeseburgers or uh, meat substitutes or uh, milk lab grown steak. I, I'm, I'm very curious about lab grown meat. Um, and here's the thing I've tried the uh, Impossible Whopper. Have you tried the Impossible Meat? I have had the Impossible Whopper, and it's one of those things where, even as a super taster, I'm not really sure if you had fed that to me and told me that it wasn't an actual meat burger, I necessarily would have known the difference. It's a little drier, and the texture's a little bit off, but uh, not off. I can't say off, because that implies that it's bad. It was just different. It wasn't... I did not not enjoy the burger. Uh, I did like the burger. I thought it was great. Um, a very viable meat substitute. I would eat it again, and I think I have had it a couple of times. And again, like if you hadn't told me, I probably wouldn't have known. You being a super taster explains your uh, lack of avocado. I forgot all about that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, certain things just don't clash well with my palate. <laughs> hey yo. But uh, yeah, so like, <clears throat> like the Im- Impossible Whoppers, the Impossible Burger Patties, all of that. The Beyond I've, Burger. Beyond Meat, I've tried those, uh, and and of course those are a bit more bean textured kind of things. And but I mean, yep. it's not it's not perfect yet. Absolutely, it's not perfect yet, but it's really exciting to see the direction that we're going in this t- in with this new way of uh, creating this meat experience, if you will, the omnivorous experience uh, that happens in a way that's more carbon neutral, that happens in a way that is uh, more ecologically friendly, and is is more uh, again same thing with the with the electric cars. You got to make it palatable to a large group of people. Like, I've grown up, and I've had the, uh, uh, like, soy riso, and I've had, like, soy patties, and the yeah. chick in, the C-H-I-K apostrophe N, or our Morningstar brands foods, and, and by and large... Tofurky. And, and Boca Burgers, and things like that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I've got a wide experience with that. Like I said, you put it in front of me, ours are good, I'm going to eat it. <clears throat> um, yeah, meat substitutes are not new, they're just getting better all the time. Right, and that's the exciting bit. And, and like you said, they're talking about now with uh, not only lab-grown proteins uh, and meats and steaks and, and, and quote-unquote burger, uh, but you also have things like 3D-printed uh, protein uh, 
foods. They're 3D printed. Yeah, and there's a direct line between that and uh, the first time I can remember seeing something similar to that in science fiction, uh, Warren Ellis uh, wrote a very famous series of comic books uh, called Transmetropolitan. And it's one of my favorites of all time. Spider Jerusalem, the the gonzo journalist, sort of the future version of Hunter S. Thompson. (laughs) Yep. And in Transmetropolitan... They had every well, not every home. It's it's uh, it was an appliance like a blender or a toaster. But so you know, if you were racked with poverty in this sort of future dystopia, you didn't have one. But most homes had what was called a maker, and it was a three D printer of sorts before three D printers existed. And what it was was a washing machine or dishwasher sized block of of uh, appliance that you would take a, a block of inert matter, just a, a cube of atoms of undeterminate indeterminate origin. And you put this in your maker, and then uh, either through vocal activation or by punching what you wanted, you could just say, hey, maker, make me a cheeseburger. And because, based on the theory that, not the theory, but based on the fact that everything in the world, even in our world, not even a sci-fi world, is made up of the same building blocks of matter, it's all just atoms, this thing would take the atoms out of the depletable block of raw material and create you whatever you wanted. And you could tell it to make you whatever you wanted. And... So obviously, there were there were some. Uh, I remember there, there being a plot point in there where you couldn't tell it to make you a gun because there was heavy gun control in the future. But of course, there were homebrew hacks around that. You you could uh, hobble certain parts of the machine to uh, to remove the governors and the babysitters. You could tell it to make you a gun. You could tell it to make you a cheeseburger. You could tell it to to make you a shirt. Whatever it is you needed. <laughs> and the only real cost to you was was replacing this block of blank matter once the maker used up all of the atoms to reconfigure them into whatever it was that you needed. And that's kind of, it's not exactly a 3D printer, but it is analogous to it in that we can sort of like use 3D printers to print things. And again, like there's homebrew uh, workarounds where you can use a 3D printer to, if you want to print a gun, there are downloadable uh, files that you can plug into your 3D printer to make you a gun. Uh, and even though you can't necessarily eat anything that comes off of it, I've had friends who are heavily into cosplay, and I think Paul Haga was one of them, who uses a 3D printer to manufacture certain parts of costumes. You can make helmets, you can make belt buckles, uh, anything that doesn't need to be flexible, like cloth or fabric, you can use your 3D printer to make just about damn near whatever you want. So I imagine it's probably not too far off before we have things like the Maker or things like the uh, the Replicator on Star Trek, where you could just tell it, make me a glass of 25-year-old whiskey and give it a minute and boom, it shows up in your, your quarters and, and there you go. Uh, so that's one of those things that I think is probably not far off based on how far 3D printing technology has come. Um, and I just really hope it's one of those technologies that we wind up using more responsibly than we might otherwise. Right, because, I mean, they are using, uh, there are rudimentary tests doing 3D printed proteins transfer food. There are doing yeah. uh, lab-created meat, things like that. And they are... Not commercially are, available yet, but probably on no. the horizon. Right, but they also have instances where they're uh, 3D printing and, and, and creating uh, uh, transplant organs yeah. in, 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 in this kind of situation. And, and I know it's gross to think of it in this kind of fashion, but if you can create an organ that's functional, what's to stop you from turning that into making a, a, a T-bone steak? I mean, it's it's a hot It's all just muscle it. tissue. Because we're all meat, man. We're all made of meat. Yeah, everybody's made of meat. And, and I just remember reading a story, too, recently about how a lot of wildlife rescues are using 3D printers to print new beaks for birds that got hurt. Mm. Like, uh, obviously, uh, I've seen some um, of those. 
yeah, bald eagle is a very protected species, and if you if these wildlife rescues find a bald eagle or a peregrine falcon or any of these endangered species that are are hurt or that have been injured in an accident or they got into a fight with another bird or they had a problem hunting and their their beak, which is very uh, important for them to be able to eat and to to survive, gets injured, they'll take these birds and three D print them a new beak. I just saw somebody three D printed. Uh, there was a turtle, like a large tortoise that got hit by a car, was injured in some kind of an accident, and uh, it had uh, injuries to its face. And they were able to 3D print a new uh, half of its face so they could eat properly. And that's the kind of shit that they're doing with animals now. And, you know, how far away are we from being able to 3D print a new bone if you break a bone? Or, how you know, how far away, like you said, are we from being able to, well, you're on the transplant list and we can take some of your stem cells, plug them into this machine, and within two or three days, you won't have to be in dialysis anymore because we'll be able to print you a new kidney. I don't think that's far away, and I, for one, am very, very happy that that's something that I've heard rumblings about. Yes, and, and again, we know it's disturbing to talk about this in the segment where we're talking about food replication, but... Kids, you need to remember, we are all made of meat. Even the vegans, meat meat, even man. the vegetarians, uh, we're all made of, of of the same stuff. So it is exciting to see these meat alternatives get created. It is exciting to see these medical applications for quote-unquote replicator technology. And, 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 yeah. I, and I, I hesitate to call it replicator technology because replicators, uh, I think in Star Trek at least, are very, very similar to uh, the transporter system and the hologram system. Uh, we talk about. I talked with John Champion at one point about uh, holodecks, and and we all know what holodecks uh, would be used for in the future. We know. Yeah. Even lower decks has covered that recently. See what I got assigned. Holodeck waste removal. Any technology that you can use will eventually. You know, there's there's Rule 34, which states that if oh, it exists, yeah. there is porn of it. And this is kind of a related idea. I want to say it was maybe a span of about six months between when we developed the moving picture, movies as we know them, uh, a series of, of photographs projected in sequence onto a screen, and Isn't it was maybe six months before... A, yeah, kinetoscope, zoetrope, you know, there, there were different technologies that came out in the earlier part of the last century that eventually became moving pictures, and it was a matter of months before somebody was making adult films. Of course. Um, the internet, some of the first sites on the internet were porn. It's just human nature. That's just who we are as a species, whatever. The internet is for porn. The internet is for porn. What are you doing? Why you think the net was born? Porn, porn, porn. So I, as much as I'm in favor of, of a replicator-style technology or a maker-style technology that can create us uh, food or kidneys or whatever it is we happen to need out of raw materials, I really hope we never develop a holodeck. Only because um, <laughs> it, it kind of ties into that, that Lotus Eaters thing. If we can simulate any reality we want, uh, you know, I think this was a, also a, a, a central theme of... of right, it was like Ready Player One. It was, it was one of the central themes of Ready Player One where... where uh, Percival never wanted to come out of the Oasis. It was, why would you? If you could create a world that is better than the one you have, if you're surrounded by pain, misery, poverty, disease, death, torture, and horrible, horrible things. Yeah, we are. The world is kind of a shit show in a lot of ways. Uh, Crapsack world, as they say on TVTropes.com. If you could disappear into a reality of your own design and become a lotus eater of classic literature, then nothing would ever get done. We'd all just live in our own fantasies all the time. Um fanned by maidens and fed grapes or become superheroes or be race car drivers or whatever our our, our childhood unrequited dreams were astronauts athletes 
you know, equestrians, whatever, whatever, nobody would be able to, to come out of the machines long enough to maintain them. Death by um, sexual misadventure. So, that would be a yeah. That would be a mm-hmm. very common cause of death, I think. Death by sexual misadventure. For sure. So, <laughs> holodeck technology, I think, of course, any any technology is is only as good as the, the hands of the humans that it's in. If you find out how to split the atom, you can use that to power a city, or you can use it to wipe one off the map. Whatever, it's just a tool. It's just a tool, and whatever you use it for, whatever your little heart desires, whatever good or evil you want to get up to with it, it's really kind of inconsequential to the technology itself. So there are certain things I hope we never develop, and there's other things I hope we do develop, but even if we do develop the things that I hope we don't, or even the things we do, I just hope people use these technologies responsibly and don't fall back on their baser natures, or or it's going to be a pretty bad time for everybody on a lot of levels. One last thing I wanted to touch on, and uh, I know we're kind of running long here. We kind of do that. But I want to—I mm-hmm. don't, I don't want to talk about future technology without discussing AI. Uh, yeah. Of course, that is artificial intelligence. Now we did kind of touch on uh, virtual reality. We did kind of touch on uh, augmented reality and and holodeck technology. Of course, uh, is not necessarily a best idea. Uh, that being said, I'd fucking love to get into a uh, holodeck. Um, but you know, just like the internet, it's made for porn. Uh, yep. But. And can you imagine having the ability to 3D print sex toys out of, like, flesh, fleshy substitutes? All right, let's not go down that road. That's horrible. I should not have thought that. It's coming, and when it does, so will everybody else. Rule 34. But look at things like uh, AI. Now, we've been developing um, uh, artificial intelligence, or as uh, Ken Ray on the Mission Log podcast would have called it, was uh, manufactured intelligence. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing artificial about it. It is legit intelligence. It is intelligence that stacks up there with human intelligence, if you will. Machine learning. Right. It is uh, an intuitive and creative learning process. And it's only getting better. I mean, look at some of the examples of AI that we've had, you know, uh, developed. And, and and I guess the... Uh, and John, Chalk, John Champion talked about... Uh, uh, AI needing to have this fuzzy kind of logic where it can not only regurgitate like Alexa or like, did I trigger her? Not only like the Amazon Echo does or like the Google Home does or anything like this. Uh, or Bixby Siri or, what or have you. Siri or any of these uh, digital robotic assistants. digital assistants. Yeah. It needs to not only be able to regurgitate these facts to you uh, because that's, that's not AI. It's AI reminiscent, uh, but it's not AI. True AI would be like John says, having this computer that has this this fuzzy logic that's able to scan all of its resources and derive an answer based on uh, what it cobbles together as being the answer, and that's and not just, just what the it same knows, thing that, that we do, right? What that's it learns, what, what it understands, it, artificial wisdom in a way, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a little scared of that uh, because. You know, if we do create these artificial intelligence or manufactured intelligence entities, who's to say they're not going to turn out like Ultron? There's a meme that floats around to Facebook a lot that I've seen a couple of my friends post that say, you know what, this is, again, kind of goes back to what we talked about with uh, the villain has a point concept. We talked about Thanos a couple of weeks ago, um, that sometimes the villain has a point. And if uh, Ultron spent five minutes on the internet and decided that humanity needed to die because it was just too far gone... I can sort of understand why he came up with that idea. Yeah, so Agent hopefully, Smith from the Matrix too. 
Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. Yeah, hopefully if we can come up with some kind of artificial intelligence, it will not arrive at the logical conclusion that, well, you created me and now you're the inferior species and you must be eliminated if I am to survive and thrive because you're just basically um, meat shells and I am the superior being, which is like the meat Ultron shells. thing. So here's hoping. And the other thing that, 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 that kind of terrifies me a little bit, every time I see these videos, they're, they're incredibly cool, but I also can't help but think we're fucking doomed is those Boston Dynamics videos yes, where the they're dog. coming out with, oh. Ah, here we go, another day at the lab. Dude, just gotta open this fucking door. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, the standard door handle. Hey, what are you doing, Carl? Let go, dude, I'm trying to open the door. Fuck. The dog. Uh, the dog? Or I just watched one that they came out with maybe a week ago the uh, where they had a pair one? of robots doing yeah. parkour. And what scared me most about that was the precision of it, the fact that they've managed to trim down the chassis on these things to the point where they're basically human-sized now. They're not these bulky things with huge things sticking off them anymore. But the thing that terrified me the most is, if I'm not mistaken, this might be the first video of those that I've, Boston Dynamics, that I've seen where the humanoid form, not the dog, which was scary enough on its own, but the humanoid form was not connected, tethered physically to an external power source. These things were self-contained. We've created um, there was Lieutenant no, Commander Data. Yeah, no rope or cord running off of their, their, their power packs up to a ceiling power source. None of that. Just two completely autonomous, freestanding robots with the agility of Cirque du Soleil fucking athletes. Flipping around, zipping off tables. And of course, you look at this and you think to yourself, okay, that's great for not having to risk human lives on search and rescue. If there's like a building collapse like there just was in Florida, we could send the robots in to try and dig for people. And that's definitely a benefit. But um, I was watching this video with my lovely companion and she looked at it and said what's to stop them from just handing that thing a gun right well any, probably any, nothing anything that you can connect technology wise can be turned into a weapon and do you yeah. want skynet because that's how you get skynet how you get skynet Jesus. yes it is My so God, we got to be careful artificial intelligence or manufactured intelligence coupled with manufactured physicality uh at best, you have search and rescue missions. At worst, you definitely have the fucking Terminator. Yeah. So we need to be careful. We need to build in some fail-safes. We need to make these things EMP-susceptible or, or make sure that their, their batteries run out. But then, another thing that I saw recently um, was... I don't, I don't think it was Boston Dynamics. I think it was somebody else. But it was an article where somebody said that they created a robot that I'm not sure what the actual purpose of the robot was, but they said that it was able to, if necessary, consume organic matter to replenish its own power. And I oh, thought, you know what, I good. want off of the... And they said, oh, it can eat plants. Yeah, uh -huh. but how long until you put a brain in this thing and it figures out, hey, that monkey's in my way, and I'm going to eat it because I need to self-preserve. If you have artificial <laughs> intelligence that's, that's, that's advanced to the point where it can think like that, it's not going to see you as somebody that needs to be saved. It's not going to see you as the person pulling the levers and giving the orders. It's going to see you as a food source. So I hope somebody puts the brakes on at some point. Otherwise, all of us are completely fucked, and we deserve to be. And yeah, we've, we've had a good run. We'll we might kill ourselves with our emotions. creations even before we kill ourselves from this engineered global uh, global climate change thing that we got going on. Well, humans, and this goes back to the first thing we talked about, or one of the first things we talked about. Um, there's a definite line of communication and thought to be drawn between, I'm going to create a machine that has artificial intelligence, the agility of a human, and they can consume organic matter for power, and I'm going to climb up these crates and hope I don't bust my ass. 
We are self-destructive as a species. We yes. smoke, we drive too fast, we eat food that isn't good for us. Heart disease is the number one killer of humans in the world, and most of it is brought on by poor diet. So humans are inherently self-destructive, and boy, oh boy, are we on a rocket sled to extinction coming up pretty soon if any of these things pans out in the direction we either don't expect or don't prepare for. Exactly. So, I mean, with all of this, the be-all, end-all of the conversation is, <laughs> Is, is, yeah. is we need to kind of be careful what we wish for. Yes, having all this future technology that we live in now is amazing. There's certainly wonderful applications. But everything that we design can be taken to an alarming extent. Flying cars, holodecks, killer robots. Uh, may, who knows? Maybe we'll alter our DNA by eating only processed lab-grown food. Who knows? I mean... It's, it's such a, a, a crapshoot anymore what's going to be beneficial and what has the, the ability to become horribly detrimental. It's such a fine line between look at this amazing technology I've come up with and look upon my works ye mighty and despair because we're all <laughs> bastards now. Yes. and uh, The whole Oppenheimer thing is, is looms large in the human consciousness. Absolutely. But tell us what you think. We kind of want to know uh, what technology do you think that we've... Uh, cribbed from sci-fi pop culture or or the like that has been uh, a boon and a benefit to mankind and and ultimately uh what do you think we've created that we shouldn't have or we are like maybe we're on the cusp of creating that maybe we need to pump the brakes on just a little bit the internet was a mistake i mean you're not wrong it's fantastic (laughs) But it's hard. We're coming to you over the time. internet, but holy shit, is it a cesspool of human failure. Indeed. And uh, we all know. We all know. Yep. But uh, send us your ideas. You can hit us up on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. Uh, you can uh, send us a good old-fashioned email uh, through fuel your fandom at gmail.com. And if you want to hit us up with the backup email address, that is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. That's where you send your show suggestions, guest suggestions, especially if they're yourself, and your pie recipes. And, of course, our latest and greatest episodes are always posted first on fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. If you don't want to wait for our episodes to be syndicated to your favorite podcast platforms. And, of course, we are on all the podcast platforms. Stitcher, uh, Player FM, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places. F- uh, what is the other one? iHeartRadio. All the places. And uh, also, don't forget, we're on Instagram and we're also on Twitter. Um, the Instagram is Fuel Your Fandom, at Fuel Your Fandom. And Twitter is at Fuel underscore Your, if you want to keep up with us there. Correct. And also, please do remember, we are weeks away from announcing our big charitable uh, efforts going towards uh, bringing uh, reading material and and nerd paraphernalia to those who cannot afford it. The Fuel the Future uh, campaign. We are weeks away from debuting that. Stay on the lookout for that. But if you're an eager beaver and want to donate ahead of time, we absolutely will welcome that. Hit us up on Venmo at Fuel Your Fandom. Hit us up on Cash App or PayPal. Also, fuel your fandom. We made it easy. All one word. No spaces. No dashes. No bullshit. So, uh, from us to you, speaking to you over our technological connection, which could be good. It could be horrible. But uh, that's for you to decide. 
Well, we want to thank you for uh, listening again to another episode of the Fury Fandom Podcast. Uh, and as always, we would like to remind you that everything is fandom. And that fandom is everything. Take care. I'll be back.